I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Around this time of year, as sure as the clocks go back and as sure as there's a pumpkin harvest, those in the know in the communications world start to make predictions for what to expect in the new year. Following trends and trying to project them into the future is a favourite pastime of thought leaders everywhere. The great thing about them is that rarely does anyone look back to see if you are right. Now, I had a look around the internet to see what the great and the good were saying 2020 would bring. And among the predictions I read about were optimising your website for voice search will be critical. Conversational marketing will become more AI enabled. Advertising will start to dramatically accelerate. And marketing silos will finally start breaking down. So how did that lot work out for you then? To be fair, though, the thing about 2020 is that it's been a year unlike any other. No one would have predicted a global pandemic, a three-month lockdown and businesses closing. And most of us had never even heard the word furlough. So does this point to the fact that looking at trends is pointless? Well, not necessarily. The problem with most of the predictions made by marketing experts is their opinion rather than being based on solid data. And that's where today's guest comes in. Chase Buckle is Trends Manager at Global Web Index. Global Web Index is a market research company that provides consumer insight to brands, marketing agencies and media organisations. We're home to the largest ongoing survey on the digital consumer. Uh, We have one of the largest panels of consumers globally, around 18 million, and we survey across 46 different countries. We only interview internet users aged 16 to 64. Um, the, rep- the research is representative of around 2 billion internet users, and we make all of this available through an intuitive subscription-based platform. GWI's data is harmonised across all of the 46 countries that Jace mentions, meaning that a user can compare any two countries on a like-for-like basis. Chase heads up the Trends team, which takes the huge amount of data that GWI collects and makes stories from that data using reports, infographics, presentations and webinars. He says that they have free reign to find the most powerful stories from data insights. And the key to this is that GWI's trends are based on solid data. Chase says he always had a huge fascination with social developments and how different forms of organisation in society produce different trends. He's interested in the global reach of trends and their implications to risk and to businesses. I suggested to him that, from a professional perspective at least, this year must have been pretty fascinating. I feel very lucky in the fact that some of the stuff, I've, especially in the last six or seven months, when you're the first person to see some of this really rich, credible data, it's just, it's a really cool position to be in, you know? Yeah. So we do an annual trends report, right? Um, every single year we're, we're releasing this one in uh, November, but we released last one in uh, October, November time. And in last year's report, um, we were like, you know, this is what you need to look out for in 2020. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is that a lot of the things we pointed out are actually true, but they just manif- manifested themselves in different ways. So one of the things I was looking at was... Uh, People were talking about there's going to be a, a recession this year because um, different indicators in the economy, in the bond markets and stuff like that. 
And we're talking about that. And then lo and behold, there's a recession, but it's, I couldn't have imagined it would have been like this. No. And like, we're talking about telehealth as well. We're talking about, you know, the importance of um, healthcare moving online and digital healthcare appointments. And then suddenly you have this pandemic turn up on your doorstep. And yeah, watching these trends unfold has been truly interesting, but, you know, really tragic in some ways when you see, you know, the the impact on people's livelihoods and stuff like that. It's, it's interesting, but traumatic as well in some senses, I guess. This might sound like an, an odd and a pretty obvious question to ask, but has there been a greater rate of change this year in, in the sort of trends you're seeing than normal? Or is it the same sort of rate, but just bizarre stuff that you wouldn't have predicted so yeah i think that's a good question i think it kind of it broadly is similar to something i was asked the other day about whether things are being instigated or accelerated by covid and i think yes you know you have uh cases of both but i think it's more weighted towards accelerated there's there's lots of things which have been happening which have just moved forward to the space of five years maybe a decade and stuff you know you, you do hear a lot of this in the industry people talking about this i think one of the most interesting things for me uh, has been the impacts of COVID-19 and on consumer behaviours, but more from a generational perspective. Right. You know, if you look at the marketing industry, a lot of the time when you go to a present, uh, conference, see presentations or, or articles, people talk about, you know, Gen Zs and uh, sometimes millennials as well, although Gen Z have really taken the pedestal out for millennials in many ways. And it really shows that there's been, uh, you know, people love those new shiny generations, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I... And, Part of the reason for that is because of younger people are supposed to be, you know, the the pioneers, the vanguard of technology and new trends and, and stuff like that. But actually, one of the most interesting things for me has been the fact that COVID-19 has been, you know, people call this a generation-defining year, right? Um, but if you look at the data, at least from a digital perspective, you find that it's been a more generation-defining year for Generation X and baby boomers than it has for younger generations. Um, okay. So, for example, uh, at the start of the pandemic, we saw that, well, obviously, you know, at the start of the pandemic, everyone stayed more, t- uh, spent more time in their homes and they were watching more Netflix. They were, like, you know, going on Amazon more and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what we found is that younger generations' activities spiked massively around March, April time. But it didn't take long for them to settle down they were still above where they were before the pandemic, but they were definitely nearer um, to that point. Whereas older generations, their behaviors kept ticking upwards. And, you know, I think it's just been such an important time for us to kind of get some perspective about how we look at generations and think to ourselves, well, actually, the, you know, this is, this is happening among older generations, and this is going to have really profound implications for marketers and businesses and stuff like that, especially when you put this in the context of aging populations. Yeah. So if you look at demographic trends, you see that uh, most people in, well, at the end of this decade, most of the consumer base around the world are going to be age 60 and older. And you already have countries in Western Europe, North America, where there's older skews in their online populations and where older people already have the most significant market power. So it's really interesting from that perspective, because suddenly, you know, rather than focusing on younger people, you need to think to yourself, I need to look at these older people and actually their market power is only going to increase. They're going to live longer, healthier lives. And they're on their smartphones. They're, they, you know, they're using Netflix. They're, what we increasingly find is that the COVID-19 has increased their reliance on the internet. So if we're talking about older generations effectively adopting digital better, 
I mean, you said there about focusing more on older people. Do you think that is genuinely the case, that marketers now need to think, get out of this mindset of everything's about the millennial, for example, which has been for, forever, and now everything's about Gen Z? And, you know, it'll, do you think we do need a mindset shift to go back to Gen X and, and, and the older generations? I think it's about putting things in perspective. Like, you know, one thing I don't want people to, to take away from this is that younger generations aren't important. Of You know, they're, they're really important. They, they reset expectations. They, you know, redefine consumer products based on their needs and their expectations and stuff. And, you know, you need to pay attention to this guy. I think it's just about trying to, and I'm not saying all marketers do this and all companies do this because it's not the case, but you do get a sense of tunnel vision sometimes. And I think it's, now is probably a more important time than ever to try and break free of that tunnel vision thing. You know, like th- this is something which has been happening for a long time, this this aging population thing. I'm not saying this is new, but what I'm saying is that the circumstances of the pandemic have just made this much more prominent and it needs to be reflected, I think, in businesses' focus because like, let's take an example of like online grocery, right? Now, online grocery, obviously part of e-commerce. E-commerce has gathered a lot of, uh, there's a lot of inks built on uh, online grocery and e-commerce in general. Uh, over the last six or seven months, people have been talking about e-commerce growing and penetration. Um, that's true, but I think one of the most important things to consider there is the fact that actually it's not so much about increased reach. It's more about people doubling down on their engagement, uh, whether that's in commerce, whether that's in you know, entertainment. So when it comes to commerce, when I say doubling down on their engagement, I mean people are buying more high-frequency goods, which are increasing their familiar t- familiarity and their confidence with using online options or online um, commerce. This is really true among older generations. And if we think about online grocery, so going back to what you say about, you know, is this something which we should be, uh, should should marketers be like redefining their focus and stuff? Yeah. Well, online grocery is a really good example because if you think about the actual value created uh, for online grocery companies, well, they weren't necessarily able to reach the older groups in the most efficient or um, the best way, really, before the pandemic, because older groups are still, by and large, doing their grocery shopping offline. But now they've been forced into the circumstance and they're increasing their familiarity, they're increasing their confidence, online options are front of mind. And what you're finding is that actually, in the case of online grocery, they're going to have the most, one of the most important markets for that business model is now suddenly much more available to them. With that growth in, in, in e-commerce, have you got a guide, a steer to how much that has grown this year? Because, I mean, obviously it's been reported a lot and the likes of Amazon have done well from what's happened. Have you got any sense of how much that has grown? So if you look at the total number of online shoppers um, in the internet population, it has ticked upwards in the last couple of quarters, but globally it's only ticked upwards by two or three percent i mean so that's accounting for the growth in the online population more broadly so you'll find that there is a lot more people online shopping now but that's also because firstly the online population is growing itself but also the real growth um, as i kind of alluded to earlier has been not necessarily from floods of fresh users coming into the market say in e-commerce it's more been people saying, okay, rather than just buying the odd pair of trainers or the like, the odd electronic item, I'm going to buy stuff which is like high frequency, you know, online grocery shopping, and it's really just deepening their engagement level with uh, e-commerce. So, like to measure that, like for example, online grocery, 
uh, I should have said earlier as well, a lot of the major trends with older people um, that you're seeing right now are really coming from Western countries like um, in Europe and uh, North America. And for example, if we look at online grocery among um, people who shop for any grocery products online among Gen X and boomers, we're in North America in Q3 2019, 21% said that they were shopping online for online grocery. But fast forward to Q3 2019 and one in three of them do. Right. There's a really big step up. Same in uh, Europe. It's not quite as big, but um, at least about four or five percentage points just in that short period of time. So, you know, big, big movements in that sense. And what do you think the effect of all this is on things like loyalty, for example? Because I know there's been increasing thought around the whole idea of brand loyalty as being maybe not a myth, but fading away and and this to me seems to again accelerate that sort of trend in that if i'm shopping online and i've got access to a search engine and i've got amazon and i can just you know look at what whatever whatever product it is and get five different options it strikes me that that whole concept of loyalty is is gonna go away am i am i overstating things too much there no, I think you raise a really, really important question here. And you know, what happens to loyalty when suddenly um, a bigger portion of online of shopping is done online? Is that there's a few different factors at play here, right? So, like you're saying, uh, when more is done online, your competitor is is just one click away. Yeah. Um, but if we think about it in terms of what actually makes people buy, you know, the same brand and stuff, and and quite often you'll find that. We, we found in the past that physical features of you know material packaging these sorts of stuff they go a long way in helping to convince people to choose that brand but when suddenly the shelf isn't so important how do you make online channels work harder for you and that's yeah that's a really tough question and it's something which you really need to just dig into that whole online purchase journey to try and see how decision making works among different groups of consumers because it's never really the same but one of the key indicators we find about uh, brand loyalty coming under more pressure at least during these times is and and this actually harks back to the online grocery thing um people are researching products much more than they used to and i'm not just talking about high investment products like electronical goods or anything like that i'm I'm talking about stuff like household products like shampoo or, or like a chocolate bar or whatever you know like we actually find that there's been big jumps up in just mainly because of people are probably shopping online for them more i think in general but when people are applying more scrutiny on even the smallest of products, suddenly you kind of come into that problem, don't you? Of like, okay, well, how do I really convince them if they're going to do their homework on this? How can I, you know, how can I convince them to buy my product over anyone else's? This last point is fundamental when it comes to the way things have changed in the last year. Prior to COVID, there was increasing attention being paid by marketers to online reviews and gaining recommendations. It's long been recognised, for example, that one of the core functions and benefits of social media for brands is to get your customers talking positively about you in order to influence the purchase decisions and behaviour of others in their networks. Given our increasing propensity to compare the smallest of purchases online now, a brand's ability to generate and encourage such activity is going to become vital. But is there any evidence that people are paying more attention to reviews? The the actual movement in online reviews over time hasn't been as great as you might think. It's not necessarily the case, like I said before, that more people are doing it. I think it's just that people are using them more. And the indication there is that, um, as I said, people are 
doing it more because they're looking at more different types of products to review online or to looking at reviews of different types of products. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and I mean, and all these trends we're talking about here in, in, in commerce, do you think they're becoming permanent changes? Because you, you can have a trend, obviously, that picks up because of something happens like a pandemic and then dies off the other end and goes back to normal. Do you think these are now becoming permanent changes purely because of the length of time we're having to adopt this behavior i do think yeah i think many of them you know it might not be as um frequent of a behavior as it was during the pandemic just through you know circumstance but i think that a lot of the stuff people are doing especially in the stuff we've been talking about like you know high frequency online grocery stuff these are habit forming things you know people do them repeatedly and the value that people see in these things in helping them navigate their day-to-days is huge when we do a new piece of research and we did like a lot of i think every two weeks and then every month during the height of the uh the lockdown period we were doing new research and as i said all of this research um, is from the same respondents who took our main body of research so that allowed us to do something really interesting, which was to say, um, you know, what are you doing more of during the pandemic? And then we could see if they were doing it or not before the pandemic. Uh-huh. We found that it wasn't necessarily a case of new users doing it more. We actually found that it was just the existing people doing a lot more of it. And then when we asked them as well, are you going to keep doing this after the pandemic? Now, I'm going to caveat this because, you know, there's a difference between and what people say and what people do. So yeah, it's yeah. more of a broad indication. Um, but we actually found that uh, at that time, which was actually truthfully back in, say, June, I think people were thinking, well, you know what, like, I'm not necessarily going to carry this on after the pandemic. But if you actually look at the um, continued research after that, it seems like they actually have carried it on. And as I said, I think a lot of these things are very habit forming. Which is interesting in itself, you know, the the intention and what you think you'll do and, and then your behaviour doesn't necessarily follow that that's that's an interesting thing itself and i mean that's i guess from my perspective i've i've had that opinion is that what's happened this year will change things on a permanent basis we're not just going to fall back into the way we were whenever the hell that happens which Mm -hmm. might be a long time obviously yes but that's something you just mentioned as well um i think if you look at it from another angle um you know is this going to be some sort of lasting behavior change well i think if we go back to the example of older generations, right, um, when we look at these these Western countries like North America and, and Western Europe in particular, you find that their, their populations, like I said earlier as well, um, they skew old. And the behaviours and the decisions and the shifts that we're seeing among these older generations are really going to end up moving that needle. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see that reaction from business. And then you, suddenly there's going to be you know, broader options available for people to keep doing these activities and th- there's new standards being set, essentially. So I think that it's not just being driven by consumers. I think, you know, with this moving of the needle from older generations, you're going to find that these behaviours are just going to become commonplace because of there's more availability, the, the standard of experience is much higher as well. It's just going to be a, a broader movement towards that area of things, I think. So let's look, look at things in a different way then. So Taking all this on board, from a marketer's sense, are things like advertising now kind of on the slide? Is that a nice way to put it? Because if if we're saying things like reviews are going to become more influential, maybe, and you know, traditional advertising slots perhaps aren't there anymore in the way they were, 
do things like community and feeling of belonging and all that side of things now are they, are, are they overtaking advertising? I mean, you can argue that's a trend again that has been going on for some time now. But has there been an increase in in that sort of behaviour that you can see? Um, that's a good question. I mean, we haven't seen any indication that advertising is is less important now. I think actually, you know, as a business, we've always maintained the position that uh, this is a time to build your brand. Um, and, you know, lots of people say that during a recession, but we're definitely proponents of that. And advertising is you know, something really important during now. I don't think there's advertising is going to lose its grip. So reviews, you know, like you say, they're going to be more important. A sense of community being more important. I think as like digital engagement steps up, then yep. online channels are going to find new ways of connecting with people. And it's a tough question, I think. I don't, I don't think uh, advertising is going to lose its grip. I think that it's going to have to compete with other channels, but that's not necessarily, you know, there might not be a competition. It might be they work in tandem, you know, mm. brands who are advertising are also working on building their own communities online. And, and, you know, we might find that those communities are, they, they flourish in a time like this. And, and especially as digital engagement steps up and more people find different ways of connecting online and, and brand purpose becomes more important as well. And that's reflected in what people are talking about online and, um, yeah, I think these are all really important things, but I don't think advertising is going to uh, going to lose the script now. No, okay. So uh, when you're talking about digital engagement as well, I mean, one thing that I, I think is is widely acknowledged from this year is that things like messaging apps, for example, and video have absolutely boomed because suddenly people have wanted to be in more regular contact because they can't see each other, and so you've got you know WhatsApp and, and professional apps like Guild. And then Zoom, I know, has just gone through the roof. What's the impact of that for mar- Is there any impact to that for marketers? Do we acknowledge that that's happening and accept that maybe we can't track a lot of stuff that's going to be going on anymore because it's in these private places? Or do we try and... I, I can see some marketers going to try and almost infiltrate that, which probably isn't going to be welcome. I mean... Do you have a sense of what the impact of that that trend is? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting question, actually. And I think this touches on that idea of dark social, right? So if any yeah. um, kind of listeners aren't aware of what dark social is, it's conversations happening in kind of those private messaging app spaces where, you know, let's say someone posts a link to your website within these uh, spaces. Well, that means that uh, when people click on that link and come to your website, it means that you don't know where they've come from, which thereby means that there's actually potentially a lot of conversations happening about your brand, which you're not aware of, and you don't really have much control over. Yep. Um, and like you say, there's been an increase in use of messaging apps, uh, particularly among older people. Again, I think one of the key things there has been video calling and voice calling has really proved amazing for like, regardless of who you are during this pandemic. Yep. But like you say, you know, it's, it's increased that use of messaging apps, which has a, that poses a problem to marketers um, in that sense of trying to control that conversation. Um, but I don't think that going in and trying to intrude in that conversation or, or, or any kind of thing like that, I don't think that's going to work. I think you need to create the conditions for people to talk about your brand in those spaces and accept the fact that that happens, but you just got to create the conditions to encourage it. One of my big fears is that 
you have these technologies come along and then marketers get on top of them and spoil them. <laughs> and we do this on a fairly regular basis. And I hope that isn't the case with things like video calling. I can't imagine anything worse than, you know, ads popping up on, on, your, on your video call, for example. But who knows? I don't know. Towards the end of our conversation, I decided to throw a couple of questions at Chase to try and either kill or confirm views of how social media has been developing over the last few years. Namely, are young people really ditching Facebook? And is TikTok really the be-all and end-all of social media? Uh, two questions uh, I do hear a lot. Um, firstly, younger people are not ditching Facebook. Our data makes it very clear that Facebook, in most cases, is the top app, um, top social media platform for younger age yeah. groups. Why do you think that myth is out there? I mean, what what, what is behind that? Hard to say. I think that firstly, you know, when people started realizing that parents are going on there and then you had a lot of different news articles talking about how like younger people were creating uh, fake accounts to try and escape the, the eye of their parents. So I think these things definitely helped. And there was probably like a sense, you know, I think what you find with these things is there's like a, there's a nugget of truth in there somewhere, but it's just being completely blown out of proportion. Yeah. And I think that may, at one point you may have seen some young people at least moving away from Facebook. But, you know, the reality is, like I said, that they're still, that's still their top app in many cases outside of China. Um, and it's not a case of their ditching it. It's just that they're migrating certain kinds of behaviors to other places. Um, yeah. So Instagram, for example, and, and also you talk about TikTok, right? Like TikTok's a really interesting one uh, because actually the growth of TikTok during lockdown has been just insane. We've actually never witnessed usage growth on the scale of TikTok for any single social platform or website or app for that matter. So actually during lockdown, we found that TikTok experienced 72% uh, growth in monthly visitation on a global level um, before and during insane. lockdown. Yeah, in Latin America, that, that was actually around 185% growth. Wow. You know, massive. Um, and I think the whole TikTok thing is interesting because it's really about them trying to make it in the West and, you know, challenge the dominance of US social platforms. So most of the conversation has been about TikTok's hostile re reception from the US government. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this new Oracle deal has um, recently come to light as well. So the US is in the eye of the storm, but actually we've been equally interested in its success on the other side of the Atlantic in Europe, where there's been a bit more of a warmer reception. And it's obviously a massive hub for Western for the Western world for TikTok. And, and we found that TikTok's grown massively in in, uh, in Europe as well. It's, it's a really interesting uh, phenomenon and it doesn't look like it's really letting up either. No, it, it seems to be just going, yeah. I don't know, I, I've expected a slowdown, but it, it hasn't at the moment. I guess what you're talking about here is, is perhaps, especially with Facebook, is one of those things where perhaps people's intention or what they want people to think isn't necessarily what they're actually doing. And that's maybe where this myth of you know, young people aren't on Facebook anywhere has, has, has come from. But, you know, anyone who advertises, anyone who runs advertising on Facebook will know you can reach young people on Facebook. It's 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 not difficult, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. I think this is, a, you know, you talk about this myth. It comes back down to what we were saying earlier about the generational differences and the way that marketing typically approaches them. I think it creates that environment where you do get these myths or these stereotypes which end up, you know, there's business decisions and there's investment riding on these stereotypes. And what we find in our research is there's huge amounts of diversity among these younger groups. Not all of them are on TikTok. You know, some of them are actually quite detached from social media. It's just something where you, you need to look at it from an audience perspective and really dig into it. 
find out more about Chase's work in digital trends, look him up on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.